certainly feel like comic-con this year dropped a whole bunch of really cool stuff about star trek this year ridiculous we learned stuff about discovery we learned stuff about the lower decks we learned even more excitingly stuff about the picard show lots of stuff about the picard show which we'll get into here in a minute we also learned a little bit about uh what tarantino is thinking for his star trek movie if that becomes a thing also, interestingly, he said that his plan all along was to do 10 movies and that if Star Trek is his 10th movie, that's it. He's done. He's not going to do anymore, even though he's thinking about writing Kill Bill 3 still. So we'll see what Tarantino d decides to do. But anyway, for those of you tuning in here expecting part two of, uh, of uh, A Private Little War, it's coming, I promise. But we wanted to hit all this comic stuff now while it's topical and interesting, so I promise... Part two is coming up here real quick. But for now, my name's Matt. I'm coming to you from Austin. And the other half of the brothers check about my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. Hailing frequencies are open. Yes, they are. Coming to us from San Diego of all places. Crazy. Um, so I'm just going to jump into here, start talking right away about uh, the Picard, because I think that's the one that you and I are probably the most excited about. The, the 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 whole panel is on YouTube. I expect you to go and listen. So everyone should go and listen. It's going to be great. I'm going to hit you some of the stuff I thought was important, and we'll go from there. So uh, we find out right away that this series is about the growth of the character of Picard. Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart said that's why it's set 20 years in the future. He goes, because not only has Picard grown older, but I've grown older. Everyone involved has grown older. So let's let's uh, let's you know find out where these characters are that much further uh, from the end of Nemesis, which of course is the last one movie they did. Uh, the moderator quickly asks uh, Patrick Stewart, "How in touch is Picard with his former shipmates at the beginning of the series?" And uh, Patrick Stewart says, "Not a lot." No birthdays, no, uh, you know, uh, no other weddings that they've uh, been in charge of. But this is, it's uh, not a lot going on with the characters. As we find out by the end of this, not to bury the lead and just to get to it, we not only find out due to the trailer that Data is coming back, as is Seven of Nine also coming back, as is we later find... Marina Sirtis as Troy, and Jay Frakes as his former number one, William Riker. So that's exciting. I'm excited all those people are coming back. How are you feeling about that announcement? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. You know, one of the things that makes me really excited to see Riker and Troy is that I have seen uh, Frakes and Sirtis together, right? You see them on panels. You know, tellingly, we saw them on the set of Discovery when Frakes was directing and was kind of showing Marina Sirtis around, right? Right. Mm -hmm. 
this is the new bridge, this is the thing, these are the, the actors on the series, and she's saying hello, and they're walking around arm in arm like old <laughs> friends, right? That The chemistry is still there, and I can just imagine these beautiful scenes in which they are going to be like this old couple that's been together forever, and like, you know, they're finishing each other's sentences and telling each other to eat their vegetables, and I mean, they're just going to be so good at that because it's part of who they really are, right? It's part right. of their real relationship. So I'm, I'm totally looking forward to seeing uh, the Rikers as, a, you know, a couple 20 a years family later. family unit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's going to be great. I'm really excited about it, too. Uh, I'm excited to see where this data story goes because, you know, apparently he's still, as we see in the trailer, blown up from uh, the uh, in Nemesis when he... You know, as as uh, Picard says in the trailer, he gave his life for me, you know, uh, so uh, he feels like he owes him one, I guess. I don't know what's happening, but it's going to be exciting. I can't well, wait. Well, he lost his friend, right? Because those oh, guys were yeah. pals. Yeah. So Michael uh, Shabon, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning author, uh, we knew that he was going to be show running Picard. But did you know, and I did not know this and I should have, uh, but he was also the one who wrote the short Trek Calypso. Yeah, so you're like, okay, well, great episode of uh, Discovery. I can only imagine that means better things for uh, the Picard show then. <laughs> uh, Patrick Stewart jokes at the beginning of the panel saying that, uh, of course, we're missing a few people up here on this dais, but the most important member of the show. No, 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 not Jonathan Frakes. No, no. <laughs> But uh, but the dog, yeah, the dog couldn't be here today. We tried to get him here, blah, blah, blah. And do you know what the dog's name is on the show? Number one, isn't it? It is. It is number one, which <laughs> I thought was uh, great and funny. Uh, like, that's really awesome. So they asked him, of course, why now? Why did you decide now is the time we're going to do a Picard show? And uh, he even says, you know, I've said no a lot. Uh, I've said no, thank you. To a lot of different people who came to me with ideas, he was like, but once this idea came, these people came in, this team came, pitched the idea, he said he knew he had to do it. Kurtzman goes on to say, it's a, in tone, it's entirely different than The Next Generation. Uh, Patrick didn't want to repeat what he's already done. So we were kind of forced to, in the best ways, think outside the box, to think in new ways. What is it everybody loves about Picard? Why do we all love him so much? And, uh, and uh, also, what does Trek mean to us? And more importantly, what does Trek mean to Patrick? Which I thought was really nice of them. Kurtzman goes on to say, at the time uh, the show starts, we find that he is questioning some of the choices he has made. And yet, absolutely, about those uh, absolutely certain about those same choices that he's made. And uh, so we're allowed to shake up the character in that way. Uh, we find out in this in this uh, panel that he's uh, been very much, which is stuff I've been hearing all along, he's been very much a part of the writer's group. Uh, you know, he's coming in, keeping, constantly giving, uh, you know, the Picard perspective on things. What would he say? What would he not say? Those kinds of things. Uh, Heather, one of the producers, described it as more lyrical and grounded than even Discovery is. And then I yeah. kept hearing lyrical well, used a lot. One of the things that we've talked about a lot in the original series is how, you know, Shatner and Nimoy especially 
you know, took control of their characters uh-huh. and, and how writers and directors were saying, it's difficult to work on the show now. Uh-huh. You, yeah. you, you know, give instruction to uh, or direction to Leonard Nimoy. You, you write words for Spock to say. And, you know, Shatner and Nimoy say, no, my character wouldn't say this. We would do this other thing. Yeah. And you know, I'm, to a certain degree, this was new in television. And these characters are, are doing this. And they make a good argument that nobody is, you know, with Spock all the time. Nobody's with Kirk all the time. But, but the actor, the writers come and go. The directors come and go. But we are always yeah. here. We know the character. And, of course, we see, you know, basically, uh, Stewart's doing the same thing with Picard, right? Who knows him better than, you know, the actor? Especially when you have, like, a totally different team of writers and, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, people from Next Generation are coming back to continue the story or something. They've they rejected that model. And so, uh, you know, having the actor in, in the writer's room certainly makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. Although if Jay Franks is going to be directing, certainly he knows a thing or two about <laughs> Certainly does. All sorts of Trek, yes, and Picard. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the uh, the writers or the 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 showrunner Michael Chabon actually said, you know, I've learned to distrust Patrick. If he comes to me with an idea, I'm like, whatever you say, Patrick. You know, just because not because it's easier or whatever, it's because it's like, yeah, no, that's totally it. You got it. He nailed it on the head. Lines he would say and that sort of thing. Kurtzman goes on to say, Picard is the leader that we all want. You know. He goes on to say that uh, Trek has always been the reflection of what's happening in the world. And he feels like now that the world is far more complicated, our show also needs to reflect that. This isn't the, you know, morality tales that we were getting from the original series. This is something that's a little bit deeper and, you know, goes further into that. Uh, He also goes to say uh, that everything Patrick says needs to reflect the same position, the same ideals. Although I think the 60s was a much more kind of messed up period in which the original show is working with than right. the 90s. You know, the, yeah. the ninth, and the show reflects that, right? So the, right. the Federation and the Enterprise and everything about the Next Generation era is much more quiet and staid and you know, diplomatic. And there's much less just like, nope, we found ourselves in the middle of, hey, here's the Gorn, I got to make myself a mortar. You know, this, instead you get... Darlock and, you know, Jalad at uh, Tanagra. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then they bring out, uh, they show the trailer, and then after they show the trailer, they bring out Brent Spiner, and they bring out Jerry Ryan, and then they also bring, and Patrick even says, from, you know, the original Next Generation, uh, Jonathan Del Arco. And I'm like, who the hell's Jonathan <laughs> Del Arco? Should I know this person? So, of course, I had to look it up, and guess who he was? He was Hugh, the Borg. Oh, that's right. I knew, I knew that Hugh was in it because I read a thing with Jerry Ryan talking about how, like, she had bumped into the, the actor and, uh, you know, they were both talking about, like, oh, this is oh. a thing that could happen. And then when it, it did happen, you know, again, they, they get together and then, like, they have to do the makeup and he, does, he doesn't want to, like... He didn't like the makeup from before and, like, you know, doesn't yeah. want to do it. And she's like, oh, I'll, I'll get you through it and <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, that's all on the panel. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny. It was the, uh, the, the, the you know, when they take the, the mask or the yeah. face. Yeah, thing. The plaster. 
So of course they asked Brent, like, hey, you know, uh, why why did you decide to do it? What brought what brought all of this about? And so uh, Brent says, well, as soon as I heard about the show, I called up the producers and I asked, do you have anyone cast for this role of Picard yet? <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, that's pure Brent Spiner right there. That's pretty great. Uh, then he goes on to say, uh, you know, so then I started talking to Patrick and. Uh, and I said, uh, no, no, I don't think I can do this. And then Patrick started crying. So, of course, I decided I had to come aboard. <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny. Uh, but anyway, is, he goes, no, what I really mean is that, you know, I talked to uh, everyone involved. They kind of pitched to me the idea of the story. And I said, you know, basically, uh, of course, I had to be there. He also said that just the idea of standing on the stage with Patrick again was enough to, you know, make him sign on. Which then is funny because then Michael Chabon comes back and says, uh, you know, he goes, the thing was, is that whether it was Brent, whether it was Jerry uh, or and then that's when they dropped the bomb about Jay Frakes and Marina also being on the show. He's like, whenever any of them were, were there, you could just see how happy and silly, you know, Patrick became. He was like, he said, any of those days or any of them were ever going to be there. I was always on stage just because I just love to see him, you know, filled with complete joy at the, being able to act with all of his friends again. So I thought that was really great. So obviously, uh, I mean, I have no thoughts or ideas about what's going to happen in the show. Otherwise, then clearly there are Borg involved somehow. Yeah. We got Jerry. We got Hugh. We also know that this has been an ongoing problem for good old Jean-Luc and uh, his uh, time as, as uh, oh, what's his name? His Borg name. Lacutus. Yes, Lacutus of Borg. So, uh, but that's as far as I'm willing to guess. And then something about reassembling data, I guess, as well. But anyway, we'll see. We, we can also see from the trailer that it feels like uh, Jean-Luc doesn't quite have the, like, pull in Starfleet anymore that he once did either. Well, so. yeah, he's retired and it's not like you become, you know, uh, a senator or you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so that's about all I got on the Picard panel. Uh, again, I advise everyone to go watch the panel, and not only that, but just go check out that trailer because it's just chock full of really fun and cool things. Really makes me all the more excited about this. I really so, don't think uh, they're going to screw it up, you know. Right. So you know, I watched it with with Charlie, right? Okay. So all the stuff was coming out this weekend, and you know she's uh, going to be nine soon, and we've watched Discovery together, but that's really most of the trek. We've watched a little bit of other stuff. <laughs> to flesh stuff out, so we watched part of the cage, and we've watched the um, the animated episode where Spock goes back and saves himself, and uh, we've watched you know some of my other favorites, and uh, we, we we put it on, and you know she's just like, oh my god, this looks so. She doesn't even know Picard. Yeah, right? yeah she yeah. has. I don't think she's watched any Next Generation, but she's like, oh, this looks so good. I want to see it. When does it come out? <laughs> and uh, then we also looked at the stuff about the animated Lower Decks thing coming yes. out. She's like, oh, yep. this looks so much fun. And uh, so she's really, you know, ex excited about what's coming up in Star Trek. I love it. I love it. See, next gener the next generation of next generation viewers are uh, all <laughs> tuning in. That's right. Uh, let's see. Have they come up with a release date? I don't know that I've uh, I've heard of one yet. With all the for, stuff. For the Picard? Yeah. I heard early 2020. Oh, early 2020? 
Yeah, and the I latest. Heard that Go ahead. He said on the panel when he was talking about, uh, you know, he didn't know if, if uh, how long it would take for the cast to gel and to, and to build its mm. chemistry, and it yeah. might take a season. But he's like, you know, we're we're three episodes from being done, and that was, you know, the like, the thing I'm making reference to here. But we've we've established chemistry, and I'm really feeling good about the cast and how yeah. you know, we're all a family. And uh, so anyway. Three more episodes to shoot, yep. and then they're looking at sometime early in, or you know, which could be April, right? Yeah. Well, they did say also in the disco panel that sometimes it takes up to six months to get some of those high quality special effects that they do. So right. you could just tack on another six months to that and realize, like, oh, okay, yeah, it could be a while before we get this show. And and it could be that you know it's six months like from the end, right? That the right. show's gonna, you know, if, if we're in. July, then they've got to do those three shows. Let's call that a month. August, add six months. And we're into what now? February. Yeah. So, uh, you know, assuming that they didn't feel like they had to get everything nailed down on the last episode before they start the first episode. How many episodes do we know? I don't know. It's a good Let's question. Say Let's say something around 10, right? Yeah, 10 or 12, yeah. Yeah, so as long as you're like, are we close enough that, you know, no matter what happens, we can finish this in three months? Yeah, okay, well then let's go ahead and start. But no matter how you do the timeline, early 2020 seems perfectly plausible. Yeah. Yes. We don't know. Okay, so there we go. So Discovery came out when? It was like early in the new year, right? Uh, actually, ooh, yes. I think season two started like right in January. Yeah. So that's a possibility. But, you know, running it later, more like the second half of the traditional TV season. Yeah. April, May, you know, would probably work just as well. And I think it part of it will depend on Discovery's season and... Uh, what else they have going on in Star Trek. Because you, you don't want to necessarily throw it out at once. As short as these seasons are, you want to kind of go, well, here's a thing, now here's a thing, now here's a thing. And yeah. we just move from thing to thing. And it's new and it's fresh, but it's all Star Trek. And we don't forget and move on to something else. And Yeah, exactly. Well, we also know that, uh, which will lead us perfectly into the next thing to discuss, is that uh, we got uh, a bunch more short treks coming up. Uh, all of these sound like they're going to be amazing because we got some Pike and Number One and 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 Spock from the Enterprise that uh, are taking up at least two or three of those episodes. That's going to be fun, including one with um, Spock and Number One trapped in a uh, elevator together. Uh, that looks like that's going to be good. Also, Kurtzman dropped that there's going to be a uh, one of the short treks uh, is going to kind of fill us in on some of the stuff that's happened to Picard previous to the show so we're going to find that out as well which i think is going to be uh awesome give us a little behind the scenes info i kind of suspect that some of what we've seen in this trailer really comes from that short track hmm. you know some of that, well uh, some of that establishing stuff right where it yeah. seems like he's being interviewed right hmm. yeah i i think that's from the short track and that's going to fill us in a little bit Except I think that they said that that short trek was going to be animated. That's possible. I can't remember. So, 
I mean, which maybe that's just... Mean that, yeah, which doesn't mean that the, the vocals that we were hearing about this interview... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's possible, I guess. I and also, know. too, that could just be first episode setup yeah. stuff. Right, yep. You know? Uh, anyway, I'm excited about the short treks. Obviously, that's going to help fill in some of the break, as they did with the last short treks between uh, not only Picard, but then season three of Disco, which they're filming right now as well. So God knows how they're going to release all of this new Star Trek stuff. But it's going to be fun and exciting. And we may just never get rid of our CBS access after that. We may just keep it forever. I have. I've been. I've been paying for it the whole time. Oh, uh, have you? Uh, we. I as soon as not as soon as probably a month after because I watched some Twilight Zone and stuff. Uh, yeah. I uh, I did. I did dis- discard it for now, but especially now with the big promotion coming up, and uh, we are actually getting rid of cable and going going just to straight uh, straight streaming all the way around. I'm sure that I'll just once that next time I get it, I'll just keep it forever. It is Plus, exciting I mean, news, but but Matt's getting another pip on his collar. That's right, you know it. <laughs> All right, on to uh, the disco panel, which I will uh, get through really quick here. Uh, Kurtzman at the beginning says that uh, Trek as we know it was started. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Kurtzman says that Trek as we know it has always uh, been uh, siphoned through Roddenberry Trek, and that always tries to stay in our heads when we're writing these new things. Uh, I was wondering if maybe that's part of the reason that maybe Pike worked so well in the last season is because he is just, you know, stems right out of that Roddenberry Trek. And again, why we want more, why we want more Pike, because it's like we do. So I, I'm really hoping that that, you know, what all this Pike means is that we're going to get. Well, it's funny, too, because he even asked in the panel, he was like, so do you all want to see some more Captain Pike? And of course, the crowd goes crazy. And he's like, right, yeah. We'll think about it. <laughs> so like who, who asked the question, Kurtzman? Yeah, Kurtzman asked the audience that question, and then Kurtzman's like, we'll think about it. Like, obviously setting up that joke. So I'm sure that it's in the pipeline and that they will get to it pretty quickly. We also find out, uh, according to Sinequa, that they don't land on Terralysium like they planned, and they end up somewhere else, which ended up being filmed in Iceland. I, I saw the, the establishing shots, the pictures of them wandering around. Right. Looks cool. Yep. Jeff, the host, asks about the cinematic feeling of each episode. And uh, they said that, you know, basically that's what they were trying to do. You know, they were trying from from the effects to editing that they were trying to make mini movies throughout uh, throughout the series. Uh, let's see. That's the stuff we talked about. We talked about that. Oh, and we talked about that. So great, that's it. Uh, we uh, did meet one other guy on the show, on the sh- uh, from the new show. He's a new character who's uh, played by uh, David Ajay. Uh, I forgot his last name. Uh, who's playing Booker, and uh, he doesn't play by the rules like Starfleet. And uh, he's one person that they meet when they uh, land on the other side. So that'll be interesting to see. We also there was one other interesting thing that I just remembered out of that panel. Which is that, uh, oh, they tried to tease who's going to be the captain next season. And uh, he wouldn't tell us. So we got to imagine it's still going to be Saru. I can't imagine it being anybody else. Although the, the one thing they did say is that, like, it's it's like, uh, he made it sound like maybe Saru wasn't a lock. 
Oh, I yeah, well, you know, exactly maybe he's just trying he to throw us off. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows indeed? Uh, other than that, there's also the trailer out for the Lower Decks animated show, which looks like that's going to be a lot of fun, too. Uh, again, all of this stuff is out there for y'all to find. We're just talking about the stuff that we thought was the most interesting and uh, wanted to cover here this week, right now. Also, we wanted to extend the amount of time that we have for part two of A Private Little War, which is great. We got some fun stuff to talk about as far as Tyree and uh, Kirk as a little lieutenant and whatnot to talk about. Uh, anything else you want to hit on on any of this new information? No, but I'm uh, certainly... Waiting with bated breath for some more Star Trek. Mm -hmm. I agree. Obviously, I agree. Uh, I'm really excited about Picard. Uh, I think season three, I'm kind of, I, this is kind of, I don't know what to think of season three of, of Discovery. I'm sure you're in the same boat with me where I'm just, I, I just don't know what it's going to be. Uh, it feels like it might be something like Voyager. I'm kind of hoping that it's not a repeat of that and it's something different. Um, I don't know. I'm excited, uh, uh, but I'm hesitantly excited about it. So we'll just have to see what happens. All right. On that note, maybe it'll go. be a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe the technology in the in the a thousand years in the future is so crazy that we don't even understand it. You know. Yeah, it's like they show him a, a lighter, and they're like, "Ooh, he's a wizard." <laughs> All right, all right, here we go. Private Little War, enjoy the rest of this one. And suddenly, like being attacked by Romulans, the internet goes out. Dunk, dunk, dunk. So here we are a few weeks later finishing up this recording because, hey, sometimes the Romulans are just mean like that. Anyway, where I uh, left off here was talking about, uh... Oklahoma, where the wind comes sailing across the plain. I was not talking about Oklahoma. He did finish this action-packed episode. Within the designated six days, the studio was happy. However, NBC was not. The rough cut viewed on Tuesday afternoon was in the form which it was screened. Unacceptable. Huh, what in this episode could possibly be offensive. Among the trims were camera shots of Nona's fur-skinned outfit, which apparently did not sufficiently cover up Nancy Kovac's busty figure. So, what I read is that that was put in there intentionally because they wanted the censors to find it and ignore other stuff. Oh. It was that, kind of, they were playing it? Yeah, that they were the show was controversial, right? Because mm -hmm. of the, the Vietnam angle. And so they were going to throw the censors a bone by giving them something to, to chase after. Yeah. In the meantime, you know, when they're like, oh, we see breast, must remove it. Like, yeah. Okay, we're sorry. And then, you know. Everything else is fine. Ev well, everything <laughs> else falls to a lower tier of objectionability. Mm -hmm. And so now the some of the Vietnam issues become, you know, well, what if we do a word here? We, you know, change a, edit out this sentence or something. Yeah. Then the sense like, okay, fine. Fine, we'll do that. Also, it was in an implied sexual relationship between Tyree and Nona. That was also cut, uh, which Gene Kuhn had added to the script. The sequence where Nona is bathing in the pond, gone. That's probably one of the big ones they did on purpose. 
and uh, the graphic killing of Nona, and the brutal fight between Tyree, Kirk, and the villagers. Those were all things that just got sip, sip, snip, snipped right out. So, probably as you said, to uh, make way for some of the more objectionable, thought-provoking ideas in the script. Well, that's all I got on the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. That's already 45 minutes worth of great information. Anything else, you know, you can go find yourself. <laughs> Let's get to it! Captain's log. Starting. It's five-year mission. So this one, we get the tinkly opening again, one of my favorite openings. We cut from the ship to the planet below. It's the outside of the ship, not even the interior. We just go right to the planet. McCoy is taking some soil samples. He tells Kirk that these root and soil samples could be a medical treasure trove. Oh my goodness. Spock finds giant tracks. They look almost webbed. He asks if these are from the ape-like creatures found in the reports. These, by the way, are recycled bunny tracks. Oh, really? From... Uh, Shoreleaf. Shoreleaf, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And that, I mean, the whole clip is just we see those tracks again. Yep. Uh, the Mugatu, says Kirk. They tend not to hang around in one place too long. Which I was wondering, how's this information that Spock doesn't have? You know what I mean? He's like, I've read these reports. Well, I mean, yeah. I know that it, ultimately this is information for us, but you're just like, this is a weird conversation for a Vulcan to be having because he tends to uh, know these things already. Yeah, there's, there's a certain amount of Mr. Exposition that will happen in Star Trek where you're like, like they'll be talking about like basic procedures. Yeah. Well, in case of a red alert, you know, everyone responds to their battle stations. Thank you. We've all, you know, everyone on the show has been to the Academy. <laughs> we all know how it goes. Yeah. But the audience needs to know. So exactly. somebody has to say it. We find that Kirk was a young lieutenant stationed here. And uh, now we know why Kirk has all this information, because he's been here and knows it... Uh, first hand. First hand, exactly. We find this is uh, another young civilization. They just have bows and arrows, and they never fight each other. It's almost an Eden, says Spock. But just then, someone calls. But just then, someone calls. Two villagers with flint rock... Two villagers with flint lock rifles. They should be muskets. What do you mean? Uh, so rifles have rifling in the barrel for better range. Oh, uh-huh. The Klingon later offers them oh, the higher the technology. Rifles. These are muskets. They These are just them. straight muskets. Yeah, short range. Do they call them rifles on the show, I wonder? No, they just call them flintlocks. Oh, okay. And then it's So I point. just pulled rifles out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, then four from another village with just spears and arrows come into view. Kirk recognizes one of them as his friend, Tyree. That was the villager that he had lived with. They were uh, roommates at one time. Sworn brothers. That's right. What crazy adventures did those two get up to? We'll never know. Because they, they both swore themselves to secrecy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it occurred... So, I was thinking about it at this point when I was watching it. You had recently, in a past episode, probably one that I was editing at the time I was watching this episode... Uh, we're talking about how, uh, you know, officers and how we build them, right? How we send people down, you know, to planets to do different things that might be out of their skill level because... They develop a new set of skills. Yes, exactly. So this is probably young Kirk at this point doing his, exactly. right? Exactly. So he's getting some kind of planetary survey skills. He's getting some first contact skills, some anthropological skills, which, you know, are so embedded in what he does now. He beams down the planet. He knows what to do because 
he was here and got a lot of these firsthand. A lot of probably the under the direction of a senior officer who was someone who knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. Bones did this too in Friday's Child. That's I think right. that's probably where we were talking about. Exactly. It. Yeah. So Kirk pulls his phaser as the uh, flintlock villagers aim their guns, but Spock says it's forbidden. He can't interfere. So he picks up a rock and distracts the rifleman. The man misfires, and so they decide to chase Kirk and Spock. Bones hears the shots fired up and calls up to the Enterprise. Get ready to beam the, uh, the away team away! But then, holy moly, Spock is shot in the back and takes a tumble. Kirk runs back to him. Kirk now is prepared to uh, defend himself with the phaser. But Spock tells him, no, 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 it's okay, I can travel. And they move. The villagers are still in pursuit. Scotty is, is ready in an instant to beam them away, and up they do, just as the villagers arrive. Dun, dun, dun. Opening credits. Back at it, they get to Spock on a gurdy. On a gurney? Gurdy? I don't know what I'm talking about. A hearty gurdy. A hearty gurdy. <laughs> Bones cups out, cuts. Blah, blah, blah. Hmm, I'm talking good today. <laughs> Bones cuts open the shirt. While uh, one guy hypo Spock, and then the nurse sprays something like a Windex bottle <laughs> on a piece that, of something that also looks like a beehive. I don't know what's what's happening here. Bones applies whatever it is, like a special band aid or a cauterizer or something. Who knows? I bet it's a I bet it is a band aid. Yeah, of some sort. I'm gonna stop the bleeding. Bones says it's a good thing his heart is where his liver should be, or else he'd be dead. It's the second time in recent memory we've heard that. Kirk looks on in fear. Suddenly, Uhura goes to red alert. Scotty, Spock, Kirk, Bones are all here in the transporter room. So who's running the ship? Is it Uhura? What's going on? There are Klingons on the starboard bow. Starboard bow. Starboard bow. There are Klingons on the starboard bow, Jim. Kirk rushes to the bridge, where he belongs. The crew has managed to hide themselves from the Klingons. They are spying and maintaining a safe distance from the Klingon ship. Kirk checks in on Spock. Bone says uh, he'll let Kirk know if there's an answer. Kirk. So they've broken the treaty. Uh, not necessarily, Captain. They have just as much right to scientific research as we do. Research is not the Klingon way, says Kirk. Kirk insists that the Klingons must be behind the flintlocks on the planet. A debate opens up among Chekhov, Scott, and Uhura. All with counterpoints to Kirk's argument. I did not open this up for debate, says Kirk. He then immediately apologizes, saying well, he's worried about his first officer. So Mr. Scott says, do you not want, you know, honest appraisals from your officers? And Kirk realizes, no, that's exactly what I want. So yes. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just on edge here. I'm worried about my friend. Spock's been hurt. I'm edgy. Scott's in charge as Kirk goes down to sickbay. Down in sickbay... It's up to Spock and his physiology, says Bones. He'll live or die. I'm not sure which. Bum, bum, bum. Right? That sounds like a honest appraisal of anything. <laughs> He'll live or die. I'm not sure which way it's going to go. We also find out uh, that the Dr. Embega uh, here, who's with him, uh, just conveniently interned at a Vulcan hospital. Where was this guy, huh? We could have used him last episode. It's, it's true. Yes. I think we discussed this earlier, but go ahead. We did. So we're inverting the trope here of the uh, the main characters do everything. Right. 
So normally it's like there's no other doctor but McCoy because he does all the stuff. But no, there is another doctor. Yeah. Here he is. Yes. And he's going to allow McCoy to go back to the surface. And as we've seen all along, that Bones uh, doesn't have uh, doesn't know Vulcan physiology well enough. He says that a lot. Kirk tells Bones he needs to come back with him. Uh, whoops. Kirk tells Bones he needs him to come back with him down to the planet. I need someone's advice, he says. That is just as revered as Spock. Mm, well, that's a nice uh, little compliment there. He then tells Scott the same. We're going down. Scott is worried that they may have to leave orbit. That would put them out of communicator rage. Kirk basically says, so be it. Captain's log 4211.4. Keeping our presence here a secret. I have to break orders and make overtures to Tyree's camp. Bones and Kirk beam down. They are dressed in native garb. We can't make contact. It's against the rules. Kirk says, I know. It was my survey here 13 years ago that recommended it. Then Kirk is jumped by the Mugato. Ooh, and he's bitten. Bones fires his phaser and the Mugato disappears. But Kirk is hurt and poisoned. Oh, no. Kirk thinks that some of Tyree's men may have the cure. Go find him. Bones talks to them. He's got some compelling I've been poisoned acting going on here. He's got the shakes. He, yeah. He's, you know, in the in the middle distance here with the eyes, you know, yep. not looking, not focusing. Some good stuff there. Luckily, some of Tyree's men just happened to show up. Bones talks to them, but they just stand there and stare. Why won't they help? Oh, because it's commercial time and we need to cause a little more dramatics back at it they are helping some cliffhanger that was huh oh, they're helping surprise back in the tribe's camp uh they set up kirk in a cave we find through uh an unusual medical log which we also discussed earlier that tyree is now the leader of the camp uh they are kind and compassionate just as kirk's report had suggested and tyree's wife should be able to cure the poison then Tyree and Nona appear on screen. She wants to take the fire sticks from the villagers, but, Ty but Tyree thinks, no, we will be friends again. Nona says, in time? They are killing your people now, she says. I am a... Kanoto, she says. I am a Komodo dragon. I don't know what she says she is, but there she is. So She's there's, a there's the two tribes, the hill tribe and the village tribe. Right. And... Tyree's people are blonde. That's how we know they're good. Mm -hmm. And the other tribe is dark-haired. Right. So she's from the dark-haired, the cunning, devious tribe. But there's another. Tri there's a third tribe, right? They're like witches or something. Uh... No, I think she's just she's just from the other tribe. Oh, okay. And they they have the magics. because uh, they're Trixie. She's a Trixie leader, or she's a Trixie woman, and she says, "I make men leaders." I took you because uh, you cast... Oops. I make men leaders, she said. He responds with, I took you because you cast a spell on me, he says. And then she does it again with some kind of root. Boy, I hope this doesn't come back into play sometime. I have spells to keep you, she says. The woman is already more diabolical, I thought, than Julie Newmar was in Friday's Child. Which is also interesting because they made Newmar's character 
purposely not as evil because they were like, we're not supposed to, if we're, are we supposed to like her? We're not supposed to like her. We don't know how we feel. Yeah. Let's just make her not overtly evil. And here, yet here we are. Here clearly we're supposed to like Tyree. Yes, and not her. That's the problem with running a protagonist who's kind of an anti anti-hero mm-hmm. or a, almost villainous. Yeah. Because we're like, wait, we, we, don't, we don't do that in 1960s television. Whereas here, Tyree's the hero. He's the protagonist. He's the friend. Uh, the role that the wife is playing is both helper and hinderer. Mm-hmm. She betrays him. She's a member of the rival tribe. She's ambitious in a way that he's not because he's the peaceful guy. So she's much more kind of a classical Eve in that sense. That mm. she's gonna, she's got forbidden knowledge. She's she's ba- she's already bad. She's bad news, kid. Tyree here is under a spell, and he starts macking on Nona here. They start making out. Then one of the hill peoples arrives and tells them of the strangers. He says he knows Tyree from long ago. That one, she says. Bring him to me when his head clears, she said, and heads off to help Kirk. Meanwhile, Bones uses a favor. Meanwhile, Bones uses a phaser to heat a rock to help keep Kirk warm. Nona sees Bones with the phaser heating the rocks. She backs out of the cave. Ooh, she has plans all of a sudden. Then Tyree runs up. You must save him, she said. You must save him, he says to her. She says, you must tell me all you know of him. Tyree says, we took a vow of silence. We were made brothers. She says that I am your sister. You must tell me. Hurry, before he dies, she says. Ooh, emotional blackmail. Dun, dun, dun. She's evil. Back on the ship, Chapel grabs Spock's hand. Awkward. Overstepping your role as a nurse here, uh, Chapel. Anyway, then Dr. Mbega walks in says that the uh, low panel readings are due to Spock concentrating on his antibodies and his blood on the injured organ. He knows we're here and that he can hear us, but he can't take his concentration away from the tissue that he's trying to heal. But don't worry, he knows you're holding his hand, she said. <laughs> he says, and he leaves. So she says to Spock or herself or no one, oh, that's what a nurse is supposed to do. It shows she cares. Well, thanks for that. Uh, back in the cave, Nona and, I, and Tyree return. She will save him, she says. She holds a rubber creature over him and begins shaking it. <laughs> I was thinking that it must be hard to make like tribal voodoo look good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think they do fine in this scene. It looks good, but you've got to just think that there are sometimes on sets where they're just like, what are we doing? <laughs> Shaking this like little rubber thing over you, making weird noises, and then you know, uh, Shatner himself has to be like, uh, eh, eh, you know, underneath it and everything. Crazy, but they do a great job here. I think definitely think. Tyree then cuts open Nona's hands and then places the rubber, uh, the rubber root and the bloody hand into the wound. She chants for a moment and then says, "Your pain is mine," and then. Rather erotically, I think. Uh, cures Kirk. Tyree keeps the drumbeat, and she slumps over as Kirk awakens. Yeah, so, you know, other people have commented in reviews of the episode that this does seem to simulate sex. Mm-hmm. Both in, in the, the way she moves 
and the way it seems to climax. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, she she does. So I, normally, I would go, yeah, yeah, maybe a cigar is just a cigar. Except that later on, she like says, "He is mine. We yeah. have, we have performed the healing ceremony." So mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I'm like, okay, it was sex. <laughs> Must have been. Also, you also gotta wonder too with Bones watching this, you know, yeah. Mister Scientist Medical Guy watching all this crazy voodoo. You gotta be thinking like, what is going on here? Is this working? Is it the root that's doing? Oh, but then she adds the blood. What's happening? Yeah. How much of it is scientific and how much of it is ritual? Yeah, like, c- could we eliminate this by just synthesizing the root into a pill and going here? Take yes, it exactly. It'll counteract the Magatu poison. Oh, done. Okay. The shaking, the chanting, the rattles. Although you know, sometimes with with primitive medicine, the dosage of the root is, is too low. Mm-hmm. And you've got other things in there in the root. So what you have to do is you have to, uh, like, in the case of Spock, he needs to concentrate, so we basically leave him alone. Although later, with Spock, we'll have to slap him to wake him up. Yeah. So sometimes the, the effect of the, the rattles, or we're going to induce something that will just, you know, make you shake, because... It will help with the fact that we are giving you too low a dose of the medicine. Mm -hmm. It'll move blood. It'll do whatever it does. Need to add a little liquid. But Bones even then goes on to say, like, you're going to have to show me how you did that. (laughs) Uh, Kirk wakes up, says a few words, and then passes out again. But we see that the wound is gone. (gasps) And Nona's cut is gone, too. Ooh. All souls have touched, she says. He is mine now. Yeah, that was sex. Yes. He is hers, asks Bone. He asks Tyree, who says? But then Tyree says he cannot deny her any wish. Well, it is only legend. Cop out. Commercial. Back to it. Bones awakes and finds Kirk gone. You know, on, on the one hand, if somebody saves your life, there is kind of a normal understanding that you owe them something. True. But... They're making it sound more like uh, she, she has become irresistible to him. Uh, like, like we just, like, Chekhov's gun, like we just saw yeah. him doing with Ty, her doing with Tyree. So they're kind of conflating these two. Well, I owe you one. Thanks for saving my life, kid. And uh, this thing that looked like like Roddenberry and crew <laughs> knew what they were doing and made something sexy. So Bones wakes up and finds Kirk gone. And then uh, he finds him moments later beside Nona's bedside. He's very confused. Bones pulls him up to stand and Kirk asks, what is Bones doing here? But before we can get any answers, Tyree then stands up from his bed. Kirk smiles and walks towards him. He doesn't know what Tyree is doing here either, but then it all comes flooding back in one moment. He knew Tyree would uh, find one of Kokomo's. Yeah. The Kokomo. <laughs> way down in Kokomo. Whatever. Uh, you know, it's near Aruba, Jamaica. Uh, exactly. Come on, pretty mama. Uh, it's these far out names, man. They always get me. Anyway. They're a witch tribe from around here, and then Nona awakes and makes her way to Kirk. 
We have already seen what she can do to Tyree. Will Kirk make his willpower roll to stop her? I am a Kanutu. Ah, oh, that's what it was, Kanutu. She says, Tyree introduces his wife. Kirk manages to pull away from her and turns to back to Tyree. Let's talk about the villagers and their new weapon, he says. Nona annoyingly tries to keep putting her two cents in about how uh, she feels what should be done, but they continually ignore her. Trouble here with this lady. Her lust for power is too great. But she's willing to compromise her tribe's ethics to do it. Oh, that makes her even worse. Yeah, she is really a lady path here, isn't she? Yes. And Tyree knows this, because he tells her, hey, uh, stay behind when everyone else leaves. And Bega is, you know, keeping his eye on Spock. Turning to Chapel, he says, uh, If he wakes, call me. And while I'm not here, do whatever he says. And Bega really has a grasp on this uh, Vulcan thing, He right? does. He knows what's going on. He does. Although he could have just told her, like, if he tells you to hit him, hit him. Because that's probably what he's going to say. Tyree then tells the, the story uh, a, about a year ago that the rifles have arrived. Many of his people have died. He's seen no strangers in the village and will take Kirk and Bones there to look. Kirk shows Tyree a phaser, and Nona pops up out of nowhere. You have the power to make your friend Tyree a powerful man, she says to Kirk. Nona reveals that Tyree has told her everything. It was the price for saving your life, she says. Nona wants to learn their ways. Kind of like this idea, because she doesn't understand technology, right? right? But she's begging to learn. She assumes, you know, <laughs> this is as easy as putting two rocks together or something, or finding a, a thing and just making it all, like, obviously you can make this out of whatever's here. We can make this out of whatever's, you know, here on the planet. She knows it is above her knowledge, I write, but unaware of how far uh, above her ways it really is. She probably really couldn't even understand wiring that's involved in the uh, phaser. Kirk blows her off, to which she replies, uh, In the Rumchata tribe, when a woman saves a man's life, she is usually grateful. Thanks, kid. Right. Kirk explains he is grateful, but that on, uh, on his planet, men learned weapons faster than his, uh, than his wisdom. So we have a rule, so the same doesn't happen on other worlds. You can teach him to kill, she says, but Tyree shouts, No! I will not kill! You would let him die, she says, your friend? Oh, then he has the wrong friends, and I have the wrong husband, she says. Boy, she's evil. Later, they sneak uh, into the village. Kirk asks Tyree what he would do if he had to fight. Bone steps in, saying that Tyree believes as they do. Killing is stupid and useless. Tyree can't answer. But they choose that moment to run in. Kirk takes out a guard, and they move on. We follow one of the villagers into a room where, guess what? A Klingon sits! They are behind it! Kirk's been right all along. He's so clever. He is. The villager talks of the spoils of war. He grossly asks what to do with the hill women when they are captured. And the Klingon just as grossly says back, Give her to the man who killed the most. Share the rest with the rest of the men. I'll make a Klingon out of you yet, he says. The Klingon claims he can show upgrades to the village leader. Bones then 
in another room finds coal and sulfur used in making guns. They find a forge and other Klingon evidence, a steel drill bit, barrels that were not fashioned on the planet. Then suddenly someone is heard, and the Klingon and the villager walks in as Kirk and Bones hide. The villager talks about how much he enjoys the hunt. He really is turning into a Klingon. Suddenly, Bones' tricorder goes off for no reason. That's not cool. As the Klingon and the villager turn, Kirk jumps the Klingon, and a gun goes off. Oh, no. They take out two of the men, and just as they are about to escape, two more villagers with guns stand in the doorway, and they're caught as we go to commercial. Back at it. Just as the cliffhanger... <laughs> Was before, there's no cliffhanger on this one. Kirk and Bones take out the two guards and run off. They meet up with Tyree and head out of the village. Back on the Enterprise, we're in sickbay. Spock exhales and calls for the nurse. Nurse! Chapel to the rescue! Hit me, says Spock. Chapel refuses because she doesn't get it. But then she does slap him, and she keeps on hitting harder and harder. The pain will bring me into consciousness, she says. And as she keeps going, but then Scott runs in and pulls her, pulls her off, saying, What are you doing, woman? But luckily, Mbega is right there behind him and picks up right where Chapel left off, slapping away. Then Spock grabs his arm. That will be quite sufficient, says Spock. He is now fully recovered. Back on the planet, Kirk is showing, Kirk is showing the hill people how to use the flintlocks. Bones is not happy. Tyree doesn't look like he likes firing the weapon either. Bones and Kirk step into the cave. They talk. Kirk is looking at it as evening the odds. Bones says, uh, thinks it's the way to genocide. Kirk goes on to explain that both sides were at a status quo and then the Klingons changed it. It's the only way to bring them back to status quo. You're condemning this planet to a war that may never end, says Bones. All right, Doctor, yells Kirk. Tari's wife, she said there was something in that wrote. She said, now that you can refuse her nothing. Superstition. Is it a coincidence this is exactly what she wants? Is it? She wants superior weapons. That's the one thing neither side can have. Bones. Bones, the normal development of this planet was a status quo between the hill people and the villagers. Klingons change that with the flintlocks. If this planet is to develop in the way it should, we must equalize both sides again. Jim, that means you're condemning this whole planet to a war that may never end. It could go on for year after year, massacre after massacre. All right, Doctor. All right, all right, say I'm wrong, say I'm drunk. Say the woman dropped me. What is your sober, sensible solution to all this? I don't have a solution. But furnishing them firearms is certainly not the answer. Bones, do you remember the 20th century brush wars on the Asian continent? Two giant powers involved, much like the Klingons and ourselves. Neither side felt that they could pull out. Yes, I remember. It went on bloody year after bloody year. Well, what would you have suggested? That one side arm its friends with an overpowering weapon? Mankind would never have lived to travel space if they had. No. 
The only solution is what happened back then. Balance of power. And if the Klingons give their side even more, then we arm our side with exactly that much more. A balance of power. The trickiest, most difficult, dirtiest game of them all, but the only one that preserves both sides. And what about your friend Tyree? Will he understand this balance of power? such a good scene like it's the the dialogue so well written in that scene and then there's like there's just so much to unpack in that scene you know what i mean so obviously we got our first we got the vietnam reference in right there, which as i stated earlier in this episode is not it's not heavy-handed it's very uh it, there's a light touch on it and i think that it works yeah they're they're organically using it as a metaphor rather than suddenly you're like oh this is just totally about this other thing yeah so it's not it's not a heavy-handed allegory Although, I mean, the authors may have intended that, but with good writing, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. You know, in some of the reviews I read, there were complaints about yet another Garden of Eden allegory. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we should get something new and fresh. And, of course, this is part of the thing that I find irritating. Instead, what they want to do, the, the writers here, and let's give the writers their due. Right. They're interested in exploring a particular idea. So they come back to it because they're not done with it yet. Mm-hmm. Right? They haven't, oh, we've, we've already done it. There's nothing more to say about, uh, you know, a paradise situation. We're done. Right. Okay, you know, it's more fertile to go into new ground. But instead, they want to approach the same issue from a different side. Mm-hmm. And we'll approach it again soon from a slightly different angle. Yeah. And they're going to explore it from different points and that's how we get this kind of conception of one how the prime directive works two you know what what should our view be of a paradise is it ultimately you know an unstable thing it can't last unless you've got a giant computer intelligence <laughs> right keeping everyone in stasis the apple yeah is it good is it bad is it natural is it is it unnatural you know are we because a lot of times you know I think Star Trek's feeling is you're better off in the kind of rough and tumble world of chaos and development in which you are exploring, because of course Star Trek loves exploration, and dealing with all the consequences of not being safe and at home. Mm-hmm. So we also get Kirk here deciding that he needs to uh, talk to Nona and get her working on the uh, working on Tyree, trying to get it going from another way. 
Although, as evil as she is, we still can't, don't know if we can trust her. Yeah, see, I don't necessarily accept that she's evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the tropes that she's been surrounded with are, are evil. I think that she's more aggressive than Tyree. Right. But it doesn't mean that she's evil. I mean, she ultimately does want what's best for her, for her, for the tribe. She does, and she, and she may realize. Said so this comes down to like what you think of, of pacifism, right? Mm-hmm. One unexplored avenue in this episode is to figure out what the conflict is between the hill people and the village people, and to attempt to resolve it. Right. They never do that, and so we don't really, we're not in a position to go. Oh, that would have been a fruitful or an unfruitful yeah. avenue of exploration. Instead, I think we're left to say, well, the Klingons are supporting them, mm-hmm. and the Klingons obviously have the ear of who's ever in charge over there, and they're just going to fill it full of aggression and violence and Klingon thinking. Mm-hmm. And speaking with Nona, or getting you know, if she's representative of her people, that's probably going to be a very short chasm to cross, right? right that they're already aggressive, they already are looking towards more uh, combative relationship, and Klingons going, yeah, you got it right. Let me just, you know... One tweak of, what you're already... Uh, one of like. our leaders, Kalos, he said this. Yeah. You know, the, one of our generals, you know, Kor, says that. Here, let me give you some weapons. Oh, look how easy it is to kill people. It's right. fantastic. It's amazing. And if they're already leaning in that direction, then they'll be like, oh, yeah, this is, this is the way to go. Yeah be very difficult to resolve. If, if, on the other hand, their problem was there used to be fish here, and now the fish are gone. And, you know, we're upset about the fish. And we're only shooting people because, like, you stole the fish, or you did witchcraft to make the fish go, or, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all Kirk has to do is, like, build a fish dam and, like, you know, spawn the river. And right. suddenly, like, we're back to harmony, and, and they're like, oh, we don't need you Klingons. Go away. Your violence doesn't solve anything. Look, there are fish. This man brought fish. Then you're like, this is the wrong episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that, in a lot of ways, that's a next generation episode, yeah. right? And again, when you have writers, you can end up whatever you want. Yeah. And the next generator, generation writers would have had Picard build a fish dam mm-hmm. and go, look, fish should be, And then he would have given it. Although, interesting, Picard, uh, Kirk does give a Picard speech, right? Uh-huh. You know, so there's the Kirk's summation in which he tells you why you're wrong and must be opposed. Whereas Picard is more like, you know, what is man? What Hamlet might say in jest, I say in truth. You know, that's yeah, 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 how yeah. like an angel. That's the, And that's what, what Kirk does here. He gives that kind of speech about how, how people are good. And, and But we never get to explore that. So in one sense, we have to take the writers and go, that's apparently unresolvable. Because uh-huh. otherwise they would have looked into it. In the same way that they didn't do a a bunch of other wacky things. Like yeah. beam down into the planet and just steal all the rifles and... Or attack the Klingons. Yeah. Right? Why didn't they do that? Yeah. Well, that probably wouldn't have been a good idea, so we don't spend a whole lot of time dealing with that. Yeah. So, from our characters, you know, point of view, assuming that they looked at all the angles, this was the best solution. Or this this question, right? Yes. Where's, where's the debate? To arm them or not to arm them? To establish a status quo... Or to let the hill people win. Mm-hmm. I mean, in one sense, you 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 could easily imagine that if McCoy had been in charge, he would have come up with some kind of Gandhi, you know. Well, what you need to do is learn how to 
let them conquer you and still maintain your you know your your ways and your don't let them kill you engage in passive resistance if they try to do this engage in passive resistance if they try to do that but otherwise you know give up your chief yeah let them install a chief well it's interesting to think what you were saying earlier is like because i keep going back to like what picard would have done in this situation because he probably would not have given (laughs) well i don't know maybe he would have ultimately had to which i guess is also what you're saying i think if they would have there would have been more writing about it yeah so yeah, it reminds me of that uh, Hamilton quote from My Shot, where whoops, wrong thing there, where he says, uh, "And if we win our independence, is that a guarantee of freedom for our descendants, or will the blood we shed begin an endless cycle of vengeance and death with no defendants?" It sounds like this episode exactly. Yeah. So in the Federalist Papers, one of the reasons that Hamilton is in favor of a strong central government, an mm-hmm. active executive, and so forth, is he believes that the colonies would just form factions and fall into fighting amongst mm-hmm. one another. There are already cases, for example, after the end of the war, there's a war between Connecticut and New York mm-hmm. over whether or not Connecticut has claims in what we now think of as Western New York. Yeah. So Connecticut is older than New York as, as an English colony and thought that their claims were older. The New York claim comes from the fact that New York was a personal possession of the Duke of York, and therefore closely connected to the crown. And they, there was fighting between. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, actually, I think it's Pennsylvania. It's Connecticut and Pennsylvania because there was no land border. They had to cross oh. New York. Anyway, there had been incidences of fighting. Yeah. There had been. Amongst the colonies. Uh, there had been. And of course. Most of the loyalists left and went to Canada. You do get a war between the United States and Canada. Yep. But and had those loyalists stayed, had they not been, there would have been this bad blood that would have remained. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have the Civil War. So, I mean, there's an argument to be made that he was right. Yeah. Yeah. Back on the Enterprise's bridge, Spock takes command as the Klingons beam someone aboard from the planet back on the planet near a waterfall Kirk finds Nona this is the uh, one of the cutscenes of her taking a shower or something uh, she says I knew you would come I thought it was I thought it was my idea says Kirk oh they always do she says <laughs> then Nona waves some of that same rope we saw uh, some of the mm-hmm. start that again then Nona waves some of the same root we saw uh, her give to Tyree earlier that made him the babbling idiot he was. Kirk smells it, and he uh, tries to move, but she insists that he do it again. You see Kirk in this moment, Shatner, I mean, in this moment, like, fighting. He's like, yeah. am I going to fall? She waves it under his nose, and Kirk starts to succumb. And then, how conveniently, the Tyree shows up with a new shiny uh, flintlock, walks by and sees Kirk and Nona. Kirk is fighting it. Oh, no, but then it takes. He grabs her. Kiss me, she says. And then he does. Tyree takes aim. But he cannot do it. He throws the gun down and runs off. But then the Mugato returns. So we learn two things here, right? One is Nona has betrayed Tyree. Mm -hmm. Tyree is mad about it. But Tyree's pacifism is stronger than his willingness to fight. So Uh, Nona tries to run, but Kirk 
who's lost all sense of what's happening in the world, uh, has nothing to, or has Nona stuck in an embrace. Nona finally shakes herself loose from Kirk, but then the Mugato has closed in on the gap and is on top of her. Kirk, still trying to shake off the romance potion, he staggers and attacks the Mugato who throws him off, but then he takes aim with the phaser and kills the Mugato. The Mugato again disappears. Kirk collapses. Nona looks like uh, she's about to take the phaser, but instead picks up a rock and hits Kirk with it. Oh no, bad stuff. Back in the tribe, Bones then asks Tyree where Kirk is. Another yeah. hill. So Nona, desperate or evil? Right, or conniving. Yeah, hard to tell them apart. You kind of have to pick one. Mm-hmm. Another hill person wants to know where the gun is. Tyree points and yells, There! to answer both of them. Bones, hell of a thing to leave lying around. But then they run off to find it. Nona now has the favor. Nona now has the phaser. Kirk is still rolling around on the ground. Bones finds him. Cut to Nona running down a hill. Four of the villagers with flintlocks round the corner. She hides behind a big rock. You know, like you do. But she doesn't shoot them, like you thought. You thought, oh no, she's going to kill these people. But no, she goes to... Uh, she offers the weapons up to the villagers. But they don't lead her away to take them back to their leader. No, they attack her, wanting the weapon for themselves. Kirk realizes his phaser is gone, and then they both go after her. But Nona is not in a good position. Both men are trying to kiss her and have their way with her. She gets away, and but instead, again, of using the phaser... She pulls out a knife. It does not stop the men who attack her anew. But then our crew comes rolling over the top of the hill. The villagers think it's a trap and then kill Nona out of nowhere. A villager fires and, tr and gets bones in the arm. Oh no. This is also a good way to keep uh, DeForest Kelly, who's not a good fighter, <laughs> off of the, the big attack that happens. Yeah. Tyree kills someone using a boulder. Continually pumming up, continually pummeling the head of one of the villagers with the rock. Kirk finally stops him. Tyree, realizing what's happens, what what has happened, runs over to Nona. Bones confirms that she is indeed dead. Tyree crosses to Kirk. He raises the rifle above his head, asking Kirk for more of them, many more of them. I want to kill them, he says. Then Tyree stalks off. Bones hands Kirk back the phaser. All the power in her hands, says Kirk. Bones, well, you got what you wanted. That's not what I wanted, Bones. It's what it had to be. So what about the Klingons here, right? Because they basically left them in space. They've left them hanging around this planet. Isn't this be a good time to like call the Federation and be like... Or is that what they do? They just leave and be like, well, the uh, Klingons are messing around on this thing. You might want to go take care of them. Yeah, so we really don't know because they don't tell us. Right. So, on the one hand, you're left with an unsatisfactory, did they do anything at all? Yeah. Or you could just assume that they did whatever seems most reasonable. And Yeah. Kirk here, at the end, tells Scott to make a hundred flintlocks for the hill people. You gotta wonder what the Federation's reaction is to all of this, right? Do they feel like, oh, there wasn't anything else you could do? As for the flintlocks, Kirk says, what? He says, serpents! For the garden of evil. For <laughs> the garden of evil. <laughs> 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 
Serpents, says Kirk, for the Garden of Eden. Beam us up home. So this is kind of like the end of uh, City at the End of Forever, right? Where we get this episode where it's like it's kind of depressing. It doesn't really have like a happy ending. Right, yeah. So as I, as I said earlier, this is, a, this is really about the allegory of Vietnam. Right. And our writers have taken the position that Johnson's view of the war is correct and that the any likely view taken by Republicans, whether it be Nixon or Goldwater, are are bad news because we won't be around to go to the stars. Mm-hmm. All right, fearing, and this is what Johnson feared, is that an escalation of the war would lead to uh, escalation towards nuclear exchange. Mm-hmm. Whereas Nixon, for a variety of reasons, realized that wasn't the case. Right. They could escalate against the North Vietnamese and the Soviets would just uh, let that happen. Right. And in hindsight, you know, it, it does feel tragic, right? So, um, again, amongst the reviews that I read, people were like, this is awful. You're, you're basically condemning these people to uh, this bad stuff. And you, you have to believe, for, the, for this to be the best alternative, you have to believe that Johnson was right and Nixon was wrong. Uh-huh. That escalation would have resulted in a, a, worse, a worser case scenario. Yeah. Right? The fact that we know that Nixon was right and Johnson was wrong, that you could escalate the war and that North Vietnam, North Vietnam would uh, sign the Paris Peace Accords and that but for Watergate, yeah. they would have held... You're like that's 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 a bad idea. This it sounds awful. What are you doing, Kirk? Right. So Cushman writes: Star Trek, still NBC's top-rated show on Friday night, placed second for its entire hour. In third position is ABC's new competitor, Operation Entertainment, an entertain the troops variety show that makes the rounds uh, to various military bases. On this night uh, that this show aired. Comedian Dick Sean hosted from a base in San Diego with special guest stars the McGuire Sisters. The movie on CBS uh, was a second airing of 1960's The Apartment, starring Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, and Fred McMurray. <laughs> Fred McMurray, still a nemesis. <laughs> He's like core. Right, exactly. <laughs> Keeps coming back to make things difficult for uh, Star Trek. Star Trek was behind by uh, less than a mere 2% of the TV sets in use from 9 to 9.30. So as we can probably guess, Don Ingalls, after this uh, after this episode, was not asked for uh, further episodes of Star Trek to write, but he did work again with William Shatner as the final producer on T.J. Hooker. All right. This is also the... Uh, here we go. Sad. Let's bring it down a little bit, as if this episode wasn't sad enough. Uh, this was also the final producing credit for Gene Kuhn, even though his stamp on the uh, episode was for many uh, episodes to come. He had taken pitches, given out assignments, read outlines and scripts, and provided page after page of meticulous notes on each uh, before stepping down and turning his office over to Meredith Lucas. Up next for Kuhn was work at Universal, starring, starting with a screenplay called Journey to Shiloh, then serving as writer-producer on It Takes a Thief. Among the jobs to follow, writing a script for producer Robert Justman, that's nice, on uh, then came Brans or whoops then came <laughs> Branson. <laughs> That's what we get for being in Missouri. Uh, then came Bronson, and collaborating with Gene Roddenberry on the TV movie and backdoor pilot The Questor Tapes, 
which would be aired after Kuhn's death in 1974. Kuhn died on, uh, uh, whoops. Kuhn died on July 8th, 1973 of lung cancer. He was only 49. Well, that's all I got for this episode, which of course was plenty. Anything else you want to throw out here about this episode before we wrap her up? I do. So, we have this Next Generation episode. It comes rather early, and it is co-written by DC Fontana. Oh, okay. And it is about an old admiral who comes back and apparently, much like Kirk, was involved in some kind of civil war between two people and, and now he wants to kind of heal the breach and it's the one where he has Iverson's disease so he's old and sickly but he takes the magic medicine and oh yeah 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 is yeah. reduced to his younger state and uh, you know tries to convince the, the do what we we talked about earlier get the the hill people and the village people together by building a fish pond or something <laughs> essentially like that and for whatever reason, he thinks he needs to be young again to do it. So there's yep. this extra dimension of him taking what what sound like the medicine that uh, uh, mud was given to the women. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, it may have been actually had more changes because it basically was giving him heart attacks or chest pains. And mm -hmm. Krasha has to try to save his life. But that sounds like they were trying to write... An epilogue, yeah, or a sequel, or something to this particular episode. Interesting. I mean, it parallels the 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 underlying conflict on the planet. Yeah, parallels this reasonably well, and you could almost imagine that they were thinking, "Can we get Shatner?" Mm -hmm. Or we'll use this other guy, and we'll do whatever we do. We can medicine. <laughs> However, we can make it happen. Well, great. That's it for this week. Uh, another fun episode. Oh, no. I don't know what next week is. Oh, wait. Yeah. Do? I can look it up. Yeah, look it up. Pause. Next week's episode is Obsession, so that'll be fun. Another episode that I don't think I know a lot about. But hey. That's what this is all about, trying to get some of those uh, original series episodes that I haven't seen. So that'll be fun. All right, well, hey, as always, uh, you can find us anywhere you want to find us. I'm sure you found us somewhere. There are other places you can look. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on uh, the YouTubes. You can find us on Stitcher, if you like working there. You can find us on our website, uh, thebrotherstrickabout.com. And we also are on something oh itunes duh apple Podcasts. you can find us there so wherever you like to look in like to look in uh, <laughs> me today it's been that good all right that's it i'm gonna wrap it up this is matt coming to you from missouri with my brother ken who's also in marie saying live long and prosper there we go and we will see you all next week <laughs>